Hello, hello, friends, and welcome back to the podcast. I am so happy that you are here today for another episode. I hope your week is off to a great start. I'm going on week number three of vacay here in Wisconsin. And, you know, I was giving grades before you guys, and I started out at a B, and then I was up to a B plus, and I can safely say, as my vacation is coming to an end, I'm leaving in the next two days, that I give myself an A. I am up in A territory. I shit you not, that's not just a courtesy A. I truly believe that I have earned that A at this moment. And I feel really satisfied with what I've done thus far here while in Wisconsin. So there you go. I have to mention that the last couple of days, my sister has been visiting as well from Africa. She lives and works in Africa. And so I only get to see her about once or twice a year. And she is in town. She came to town. So I decided to extend my trip a little bit longer so I could spend some time with her. That is usually very rare. So I've been happy to be doing that the last couple days. But that has definitely impacted my content choices lately, uh, as you will hear when I tell you about them, because this is not stuff I would probably typically watch. But she has gotten into my brain and she's very convincing, y'all. All right. If you haven't met her, she's a convincing little girl. So she's convinced me to give a couple of shows a try. And I have done so. So the first one being... Formula One Drive to Survive. All right, this is not a new show. They're on the third season thus far on Netflix, but it really took the world by storm when it first kind of hit off. And everyone was talking about it. Everyone was buzzing. My sister was constantly WhatsApping me and being like, you need to watch this show. I'm obsessed. It's like this whole little subculture. I can't get enough of it. It's so good, blah, blah, blah. And I really put it off because it did not seem like something that I would love. To be honest with you, when my husband and I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, just dipping my toes into NASCAR was like strange enough for me because in the Midwest, there's not like a ton of NASCAR stuff that goes on. NASCAR is really like a Southern thing. And don't get me wrong, in Charlotte, I learned real quick that NASCAR is king. And I kind of dipped my toes in understanding it then. But even then, it was so strange to me. So Formula One is like another version of NASCAR, of racing, I should say. The cars are different, of course, and it is a worldwide sport, but it's another version of racing and NASCAR is not exactly super appealing to me. So when she kept singing the praises of the show, I was like, I was not bought in, but she talked me into it. We were sitting at home. We were like going through the channels and we were like, oh, what, you know, what do you want to watch? I don't know. What do you want to watch? I don't know. What do you want to watch? And we just went back and forth on Netflix, on Hulu, on the Bravo, all the all the like the apps and the stations that we have. And finally, I was like, you know what? Let's just watch Drive to Survive. Let's do it. I'm going to bite the bullet. I've been hearing so much. You're not the only one who tells me how great it is. Like, let's just do it. And I thought she was going to have a heart attack. I thought she was going to run over it and hug me. She was so excited. So we have watched the first season. We just finished the first season of Formula One Drive to Survive. And I wouldn't say I'm obsessed, but I am definitely truly intrigued at it in general, at the sport in general, but then also the cinematography and the storytelling of the actual Netflix series. So I'm intrigued on a lot of different levels. I will say I have some favorites thus far. I really, really love Daniel Ricardo. I get the hype. I understand where it's coming from. She kind of told me that she thought I would like him, and I do indeed. I think he has a great attitude and a great personality. A lot of these race car drivers like are very I mean they're competitive they're all competitive but a lot of them are also like seem mad or crabby or angry or just mean all the time and Daniel Ricardo's is not he always looks happy and like excited to be there and happy to do what he's doing for a living so I really like that about him and he just seems to have a great 
personality. So he has definitely been one of my favorites so far. I also liked there's a fella named Nico. I can't pronounce his last name. They're all, you know, European. Um, Daniel Ricardo is Australian, but they're all like, for the most part, like European. So they have these thick accents and, and names that their last names are harder for me to pronounce. But it truly is this like little subculture. And it's a whole new world that I did not understand. And I guess I did not understand how much money is put into this sport. I mean, it is crazy. If you have any interest in reality TV or any of this stuff, I was going to say if you have any interest in racing, but I mean, I don't even have an interest in racing and I am finding it really, really interesting and I'm really bought into it. So I don't know if you're just looking for a really great reality show and you have like a sliver of a chance that you might like it, like just give it a try because I think you will like it. After I get done recording this intro, we are going to go start season two. So I'm bought in. I just am. I I want to see. I want to know. Like there was a, a race this weekend happening in real time and we were watching. <laughs> like we were streaming the race that was happening in Mexico. <laughs> so we are so bought in on that level. The other content that she has really steered me towards, which I feel like this is against my better judgment, but she had us watch a couple episodes of Winter House, which is a combination of the Southern Charm cast and then the Summer House cast. And they're up in Maine, I believe, or Vermont, somewhere up in the Northeast. And I- I'm not sure. I'm just getting to know these people, you know, the Craigs, the Austins, uh, you know, all these people that I've heard a lot about. But I've never watched Summer House or Southern Charm. You know, I really stop my Bravo content consumption at The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills because there's only so much trash one woman can ingest. You know what I mean? I just feel how that is. But she had us watch a couple episodes of Winter House and I'm intrigued. You know, if I feel like I want to rot my brain at all, that might be where I go, you know, just for like a quick hit or whatever it is. Like it wasn't horrible. And I could really just sum it up as attractive people drinking a lot and hooking up, which is is always like semi-entertaining if you have like dynamic people in the same spot. So definitely interesting and something I might come back to. The other one that she really likes on Bravo is called Below Deck. And supposedly there are spinoffs of it. There's Below Deck Mediterranean. There's Below Deck Sailing Yacht or, or something like that, which there are different versions of the show. So we watched a couple episodes of Below Deck, the newest season, and she was trying to fill me in on all these people and all the drama. Definitely not as much my tune. I didn't hate it. Like I said, it's like trashy to the point where like you're entertained, but you're like, hmm, if this wasn't on, like would I miss this to watch it? And the answer is probably no. But if it's on, I'll watch it and be entertained. I don't know. So that's really what my content plate has been like. I have not started another book since I've been here. I just have not had the inkling to start another book, which is so strange for me, you guys. It's been a week since I've started a book. Normally, I've read three books in this time. So it's really just been heavy on like the reality trash TV, to be honest with you. And I definitely have my older sister, Holly Lippert, to thank for that because she is the trash TV queen. All right, you guys, let's move it right along to some trending topics of the week. Our first story we have to talk about is the incident at Astroworld. A mass casualty incident at Travis Scott's Astroworld concert leaves eight people dead. This is so hard for me to wrap my head around, but I'm going to read this story and we're going to unpack it. The concert event held at Houston's NRG Park on Friday, November 5th, was attended by approximately 50,000 people. During a press conference overnight, authorities said that after just 9 p.m. local time, the crowd began to compress towards the front of the stage, causing panic and injuries. People began to fall out and become unconscious. This is what authorities said. They said it also created additional panic and created additional chaos, and it was almost like there was no way to stop it. 
A public information officer with the Houston Fire Department also told news outlets that during the festivities up until the end of the festival, approximately 300 people were treated on site for minor injuries and 11 people were transported to the hospital with cardiac arrest. So according to AstroFest's Instagram account, they confirmed that the festival, which was supposed to be a two-day event, will no longer be held. On Saturday, they canceled everything else that was supposed to happen on that Saturday. So this, you know, caught headlines right away. And it was confusing to me because at first when I heard mass casualty incident, I mean, maybe it's just bad that this is the culture we lived in. But I thought, you know, much like the Vegas incident at the Jason Aldean concert, that it was a shooting, that someone brought a gun and something like that happened. But when I heard that it wasn't that, I was confused. Um, I have to admit that I am not a huge concert goer. And Travis Scott is not like my key target music that I listen to. <laughs> it's just not. Um, I hear some of his stuff every once in a while on Top 40 music when I listen, but otherwise, like, it's just not my cup of tea. But I have heard after reading some stuff, after listening to some other podcasts about people dissecting this, that his concerts are very, very intense in the fact that they are very, like, rage-orientated, I guess. And I don't even know rage is kind of like a vague word to use, but, like, the the jumping, the partying, the the chaos, like that's really something that like his concerts thrive on. And he really encourages that as a, you know, performer, that that's really how his shtick is. Everyone performs on a different level or in a different way. And that's really something that he thrives on. So it sounds like that, you know, his style is just propagated in that type of chaos. And it sounds like this just went really wrong really quick. So it sounded like people just started to rush the stage and literally trample people almost. And there was just a lot of things going on. And when you get that many people in in one spot, uh, it's almost like you can't breathe at times, especially if you're being run over or crushed. If there's so many people and the velocity of the area is just being overtaken, I can understand how all of a sudden you would just feel like everything's closing in on you and you would start to struggle for air and just start to become disoriented, honestly, more so than than all those other things. You just become disoriented. So I don't really know. And it's just so horrible that this happened. I mean, it sounds like it it was just so preventable and horrible. And, and I'm not sure what to say other than this just sounds preventable and really, really horrible. Some of the people, the victims who died, were as young as like 14 years old, which is absolutely crazy to me. And I just can't imagine. Of course, they are going to look into this and do a bunch of investigations and move forward and make changes, hopefully, because this is just, as I said, not acceptable for people to die in in this type of setting, in this type of way. It's just a travesty. And I feel so badly for anyone who had to be a part of this or saw this or just it, it just sounds horrible. That's that's all I can say. All right, you guys, let's move on to story number two. Actor Chris Pratt is being slammed for a mushy post that he posted on Instagram about his wife, Katherine Schwarzenegger. Pratt posted a tribute to his wife, Katherine Schwarzenegger, earlier this week, about six weeks before her birthday on his Instagram account. In a heartfelt caption, the actor thanks his current wife for giving him, quote, a gorgeous, healthy daughter. This rubbed some people the wrong way, given that Pratt has a son who is nine years old with his former wife, Anna Ferris, and that son, Jack, was born prematurely and has had some health issues. There were some people on Twitter who were all up in arms, like defending Anna Ferris. I stand with Anna Ferris, blah, blah, blah. He's being mean to Anna Ferris because he wrote this post to Katherine Schwarzenegger. And you guys, I really feel in this situation, it's just people making a lot to do about nothing. You can pick a lot of things that people say or write and 
and try and find or make up an underhanded like tone to it if you search really, really hard. I just feel like people are searching really, really hard. I don't know. Here's my thing. They have never had a contentious relationship. Like they've been split for a while now, and he has never spoken a bad word about Anna Ferris. And he's certainly never spoken a bad word about his, you know, son. So why would he start now, you know, in a mushy post dedicated to his current wife? Why would he make an underhanded, you know, slap at his ex-wife and his son? It just doesn't add up to me. To me, that does not make sense. And it doesn't like correlate at all. I think that saying your spouse gave you a healthy child or a beautiful child is something very common for people to say when praising their significant others. Yeah, we've been married 15 years and they gave me beautiful children that I love so much. Like it's something very common to say. And the post really wasn't about his child. It was really about Catherine and how much he loves her and how much, you know, she's given him as a person and all this other stuff. Like the comment about giving him his daughter was really like, Uh, He tagged it on at the end like that was not the main part of his post. The main part of his post is really just to say how in love he is with her. So my take on this is that people are making a lot to do about nothing. (laughs) Honestly, I think that this is just silly and I don't see any merit in this whatsoever. All right, you guys, it's been a hot minute since we've had a Britney update. Well, here is a Britney update. That is for sure. Britney Spears slams her mom for giving her dad, quote, the idea of the conservatorship. This was interesting. In a now deleted Instagram post the pop star shared on Tuesday, November 2nd, she called out her mother for being the mastermind behind the legal arrangement that gave Jamie Spears control over her finances, health care and other personal matters for well over a decade. Britney said in the Instagram post, quote, the most dangerous animal in the world is a silent, smiling woman. The moment I smile, I realize I haven't in a very long time. My mom gets so concerned when she says, you're acting weird. What's wrong with you? Hi, my name is Britney Spears. Nice to finally meet you. Before I go any further, forgive me in advance. It's been 13 years and I'm a little rusty. It was a family business before. It's no longer that anymore. I was born today because I get to smile. So thank you for exiting out of my life and finally allowing me to live mine. Do I know how mean I sound? Yes, I 1 billion percent do. Elsewhere in the caption, the pop star revealed that her mother was more involved in the conservatorship than the public ever realized. Quote, my dad may have started the conservatorship 13 years ago, but what people don't know is that my mom is the one who gave him the idea. I will never get those years back. She secretly ruined my life. And yes, I will call her and Lou Taylor out on it. So take your whole I have no idea what's going on attitude and go F yourself. You know exactly what you did. My dad is not smart enough to ever think of a conservatorship. But tonight I will smile knowing I have a new life ahead of me. End quote. Brittany. Wow. This is a new level of Brittany Spears that we are seeing so much fire being thrown right here. I will say that of all the Britney documentaries I've watched, which you guys know I have watched a few of them, they definitely all pin Jamie as the bad guy and as the mastermind behind the whole conservatorship and the mastermind behind her, you know, being in the conservatorship, but still going on tour and working and doing all these things and making all this money. But I mean, there have been people who have pointed out that, you know, her ex-manager, Lou Taylor, and of course, now as she's saying, her mom, Lynn Spears, had more to do with it than they were leading on, that Jamie was the front of it all and like has 
taking the brunt of, you know, the force from the backlash of the public, but really that Lynn has had more to do with this and definitely Lou Taylor has had more to do with this behind the scenes than people really know. But just because they have been behind the scenes and haven't been named any of the conservatorship stuff that they have, you know, been able to lay back and really not get as much of the force of, you know, the Free Britney stands, of course. So this, you know, as I read in the story, this post has now been deleted off of Instagram. But holy cow, I read this and I was, I mean, my eyebrows were up. I could not believe it. I just, I read the part at the end where she says that her dad was not smart enough to ever think of a conservatorship. I read that over a couple times and I laughed every time I read it. Like that is hilarious. I I don't know. I, I have hope for Brittany moving forward. I am glad that Jamie has stepped down from her conservatorship and we're definitely getting a new layer of what is going on. I will be keeping you guys abreast as things develop. Of course, she still is in the conservatorship. It is just she is not under her dad's thumb anymore. So this was just an interesting piece of news that came straight from the lips of Britney. All right, you guys, our final story is the mailing deadlines for Christmas 2021. In order to get those presents out to your loved ones, you got to send them by these specific dates. That's right. I'm sure you have heard by now that there uh, are shipping delays, of course. There's also a major supply chain crisis, uh, if you have not heard that yet. Google something called the Suez Canal. I'm sure that will clear up any confusion that you might have. But here is what you need to know in order to get your gifts out and to get them to arrive by December 25th. The United States Postal Service said that packages need to be shipped by December 15th for ground service, December 17th for first class mail service, December 18th for priority and December 23rd for priority mail express. FedEx set a deadline of December 9th for domestic ground economy shipping and December 15th for domestic ground shipping. And packages can be shipped through different express services between December 21st and 24th and can still expect to arrive on December 25th. For UPS delivery by December 24th, packages can be shipped through select express services between December 21st and December 23rd. And though there is no specific deadline, ground arrival dates can be determined through their company shipping calculator. So check that out. I specifically remember a couple Christmases ago, me and my husband waited until the last minute to order some presents for our family. And we needed to wait for the presents to arrive at our house. And then we needed to like leave to go see my family. And so we literally extended leaving like we waited to leave an extra two days because we were waiting on our packages for Christmas to arrive for our family. Oh, my gosh. It was the worst thing. I am not proud of that moment. Do not be like me. Learn from my mistakes. We have never gotten that close again. Thank God. And I always do my shipping for Christmas and my Christmas buying in general early because I still have PTSD from that time. All right, you guys, let's move it right along into our interview portion of the show. Dang, I am excited to welcome this woman to the show. This week's guest is Brewers sideline reporter Sophia Minert. Sophia is a fixture in Brewers baseball, and I am so honored to have her on the show. Sophia and I actually met back in 2014 when I was an intern at the sports department in WISN 12 in Milwaukee. And she was in her, I think it was her first or second year as a full-time sideline reporter for the Brewers. And so I would see her at the field when I would go for the sports department to do press conferences or to cover the Brewers games. I would see her. 
And I remember thinking that she was A, so professional, and B, she was so prepared always. She always had her ducks in a row every single time. And I was so impressed by that because doing the job that she does, things can change really quickly. And you got to kind of fly by the seat of your pants and and be okay being under pressure and having things change at a moment's notice or, or whatever it is. And she always like nailed it. I don't know. Maybe she was sweating underneath the surface, but she never looked like it. She always looked cool as a cucumber and she always just was a professional through and through. And I admired it so much about her when I was young, looking up to her. And even now, seeing her all these years later, she's only grown more and more in her job with the Brewers. And she still is that exact same way. And I admire it so much. This was really just a fun conversation for me to have. And anyone out there who wants to be a sideline reporter, take notes and listen to what Sophia is saying, because I I tell you, there's a lot of wisdom in this one. And I think you guys are going to love listening to her story and listening to how she kind of paved her way in this industry and got to where she is. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Brewers sideline reporter, Sophia Minert. All right, Sophia, let's start at the beginning. Tell us where you grew up and what you were like as a child. Oh, man. Um, So I grew up in Madison, Wisconsin, born and raised, and it was a great place to grow up. Obviously, um, my parents are still there. One of my brothers is still there as well. And we just kind of grew up in a sports family. Um, We ended up there because my dad um, who's originally from Illinois, took a teaching and coaching job in Madison um, a couple years before he married my mom, and they've stayed ever since. Um, so he started at Edgewood High School when I was in kindergarten. He still teaches there, um, and he was the head football coach there uh, for, I think, more than 20 years. <laughs> um, so as far as like I was in high school, he coached my brothers as well. So I always tell people that I grew up like Um, the girl in Remember the Titans, the movie with Denzel Washington. Like that was my life to a T. I was a coach's kid. Um, I was at everything, you know, my brothers and I, we would, we pretty much grew up, you know, in the Edgewood gym and on the football field and in the weight room. And we played sports. Um, You know, my dad and my mom encouraged us to try everything. So, you know, we grew up playing everything. We loved running around the football field and we'd go to all the games. And so that was just kind of what we did. And so I definitely grew up in a sports family. And I think that's where, you know, my kind of love for sports and just being in that that environment started for me. When did you, I mean, did sports journalism, was that something that you always kind of knew you wanted to do? Because there's a lot of ways to go into sports. You could do sports mm-hmm. PR, you could do uh, PT, sports PT, or, or something like that. But specifically sports journalism, when did you kind of lean towards that? I think that really was the first introduction for, for me as well, because, you know, it's high school sports, but, but Madison is definitely a sports town, right? I mean, my high school was a mile from Camp Randall. And so, you know, it's a college town. People love, you know, people in Wisconsin, period, just love sports, you know, even at the high school level. So I think even growing up, you know, around my dad's teams, I was used to seeing, you know, local TV stations and local sports reporters, um, you know, at the games. And I was always on the field um, after the games. And I would kind of listen in sometimes on what my dad would tell reporters or I'd, I'd read, you know, the game article the next day, or we'd always go back home and watch the highlights that night on the local news. And I would always kind of, you know, I'd always read, I was always really interested about what was being written. And then sometimes I would question like, well, that's not really what you said, or, you know, 
maybe the story was written differently or whatever. So I think that's, that was the introduction and that was something that always interested me. And then it became like, well, well, you could do that. You know, it became something of like, well, you could, you could do that job. And so that's where it started for me. And I think you're absolutely right. There's a lot of different ways to get into sports. But for me, I always loved the media part. I grew up around games. And so it just seemed like an easy thing for me to, to be, to be interested in, but also something that like I saw visible examples of it a lot. And you actually ended up going to Marquette for school. My older sister also was a Marquette grad. And I think she was a Burke scholar. And I think you were also a Burke scholar, weren't you? Yes. Yeah. I remember your sister. She was a couple years younger than me. Um, But yes, I I, I did go to Marquette. Um, The Burke scholarship was a big reason why um, I was able to go there. I'm extremely grateful for having had that experience and, and all the people I got to meet, the fellow Burke scholars. It's, it's just an incredible program that was founded by Dick Burke. Um, but that, yeah, that was, um, that was a big reason why I was able to attend Marquette. And, and part of the reason that I wanted to go to Marquette was because of their communication school, the journalism program, also just being in a bigger media market um, of being in Milwaukee. I knew that there would be more opportunities for internships or jobs or just more hands-on work because I knew that was probably going to be most important aside from the education that I was receiving at Marquette. And I had a fantastic experience there. Um, I mean, the College of Communications there has, I mean, it's night and day from what it was even when I was there as as a student and I had a great experience. So I was a journalism and Spanish double major and I was able to study abroad in Madrid um, my junior year, which was an, also an incredible experience and helped finish out that Spanish major. So, um, yeah, I was very, very fortunate with my time at Marquette. And I, my sister would echo the same thoughts. Getting that Burke scholarship was like the reason why she chose Marquette because it's an expensive private school to go to, but she really wanted to. So I know that she would echo those thoughts and echo what you're saying about just how incredible her experience was there. And I know that you're still really involved in the Marquette community. You still do a lot of things, uh, you know, being a part of that community. And I feel like once like you're a golden eagle, like you just are one for life. Like she's very proud of being a Marquette grad. And I think a lot of other Marquette grads are proud of it too. Oh, absolutely. I think it's, it's definitely a part of the fabric of the university, right? Like when you're there, you realize like Marquette is sort of this bubble within Milwaukee. And I think one thing that the Burke scholarship did for us with all the community service work we did is they, they broke that bubble, right? It's like, it was all about being out in the community and being active, not just on campus, but, but in the city and the surrounding community as well. And that was a wonderful experience to have as, as a college student, right? To see the city and even the campus, right? In a different way. Um, so I, I agree. I'm a very proud Marquette alum. Um, I still do work with the College of Communications. I'm in the Marquette Mentor Program. I do events with Marquette Men's Basketball and Marquette Athletics in general. So I think it is one of those things that I'm so grateful for the experience that I had at Marquette. And I was you know, of a lot of generosity and, and people that invested in me and helped me as well and gave me great opportunities. So if there's anything I can do, um, I, I just feel like that's important. And it's honestly something I really enjoy doing. Were there any internships that you had during your time in college that really shaped you or any mentors that really like took you by the mm-hmm. hand and saw your potential and kind of nurtured you along? 
Yeah, there were two specific internship experiences that I had um, at Marquette. And this is the biggest thing I always stress to students whenever I meet with them at Marquette or, or any other school is the importance of having those internships, because that's honestly where I did the most learning and growth and just hands-on work experience. Um, So the first one was actually, it was a speaker series that Marquette had my junior year. They brought in Rob King, who at the time was the editor-in-chief of ESPN.com. And I made it my mission to meet him. I basically stalked his schedule. um, And I attended this one-on-one session that he had a Q and a with students and, and asked him some questions then introduced myself after the fact. And I had done some research and knew that I really wanted to get into the ESPN internship program, if at all possible. And I expressed that interest to him. I go to his main address that evening, um, at the college of common, one of the lecture halls, and he mentions our conversation in his speech. So I'm like blown away, right? The fact that He even remembered my name, right? Let alone any of our conversations. So I go up to him again after the fact, and I just thank him again for coming and, you know, our interaction and his time that day. Again, you know, talked to him about the internship program. So he connected me with um, Fred Brown, who was the director of ESPN's internship program. I ended up getting an interview and getting the internship. So I came back from after my God and went right to Bristol. So that was the summer between my junior and my senior year. And again, this is an opportunity I would never have had most likely had it not been for that speaker, you know, for Rob King coming to Marquette, having met him, making that connection. He connected me with the right person. Like if I would have applied blindly, I I'm not very confident I would have gotten that internship, you know, just with the volume of applications that they get. So that experience of like working in studio production at ESPN, you know, at the highest level, it's an incredible program. It's very hands-on. You're evaluated every night. Um, and they really make it open. Like they want it to be whatever you want your experience to be. They encourage you to email people. They encourage you to set up meeting, have coffee with whoever you want to meet, work on different shows. So I was really fortunate that I was able to do that summer internship program. And honestly, it was that internship that cemented for me that I wanted to do television because that was really my first introduction to live TV. I was a journalism major. I hadn't even taken a single broadcasting class. So I, so again, this is the summer before my senior year. So I, I go to this internship. I'm like, I love the live TV environment. I love, you know, we were production assistants. So we were working on highlights, scripts, working with the anchors, the talent on the shows, Um, We were very involved, but I just, I loved the live TV environment. And so I come back from my senior year. I'm like, okay, now I got to figure out this TV thing. I have to pivot on kind of how I've set up my schedule. So I set up another internship, again, stalked the WISN sports director, Dan Needles, and basically told him like, I need an internship in your sports department. Um, Can you help me? And so I ended up doing an internship at WISN, the ABC affiliate, which is right by Marquette's campus, walking distance. And I interned there both my fall and my spring semester. So um, again, just another really formative experience of working in a local newsroom. Um, They took me out on every kind of shoot. They let me shoot stand-ups. They let me edit. They let me write. 
um, and that laid the hands-on experience that I needed. And that's also what let me start building um, a resume tape, which is ultimately what helps you get a job. <laughs> yes. It's so funny. Dan Needles is who gave me my internship at WISN 12. And I did something similar. I did a lot of similar things that you did. <laughs> <laughs> I emailed a couple different people in the Milwaukee market when I needed a, an internship, but I, he responded to me. So I kept responding back to him. And I was like, mm. basically the same thing as you. I was like, I want to work in sports. I've done this, 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 like, I'm going to work really hard. Like I just need an opportunity. And he took a meeting with me and he like gave me the job right after the meeting. And I got to work with Steph Sutton there at the time when you were there. Yes. They she, are, yep. She sure was incredible. Like learning from both of them, they were like the perfect balance. I think cause Steph was so cemented in sports as a female. And then Dan is just like, I don't know, such a personality in and of himself that they were exactly. such a, cool team to learn from. Yeah. And, and I, I agree with you. And I think more than anything, they're so established, right. In their own careers and they're veterans at WISM. They've both been there a long time. Um, I think their longevity speaks for itself, but I, I think that's what allowed the internship to be so great was they were like, first of all, you have to work hard, right? I mean, they expected you to work and to contribute and, and also they gave you the freedom again of like, all right, I'm going to shoot my package. Now you get in there and, and shoot your standups and do it multiple times and get it right and offer feedback and, and offer, you know, constructive criticism, you know, and, and let you be really active um, with the internship. And, and that's another thing that I tell students is like, even when you're given that opportunity, it's still up to you to make it what you want it to be, right? Like it's on you to be proactive, to offer, to do more, to go above and beyond, like they've, they've given you the opportunity. You're already in the door. So it's on you to like be as active and persistent as possible and like offer to do more and okay, can I do this? And, and ask, right? Like ask questions. So I think it was the perfect place to do that. Um, because they're so established and, and they, they genuinely want you to learn and get better and they give you every opportunity to do that. Yeah, 100%. I loved my time there too as well. So it's so funny. Um, what was your first job like out of college once you graduated and you were like in the real world? What was your first gig? So this is where, um, you know, my, my path sort of took a different route than most, but it ended up being the best possible thing. So rewind a little bit. When I was in high school at Edgewood, um, I already knew I wanted to go into sports media and there was a company there in Madison that I started working for in high school at the time they were called when we were young productions and they were working in high school sports. They were doing these like highlight films, kind of season long documentaries. So I learned and they had reached out to my dad my dad was familiar with their work. They were doing a lot with local Madison schools and the surrounding area. And so I started working with them of just basic like shooting and editing and working on these films for them. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. So that was kind of my introduction to like shooting and editing and video, video production. So I had a little bit of that base. By the time I graduated from Marquette, their business had evolved where they had gotten into live game production and they were covering all of the WIAA high school state tournaments and championships. And they were getting into live streaming, which at the time was a really new space for high school sports. Um, and so I graduate in May, right. With my 
resume reel that I have from WISN and some of my broadcasting classes at Marquette that I take in my senior year with the idea of, okay, I'm just going to have to apply, right, to every local station that I can and, and hope to get in somewhere. Um, so I essentially graduated with no plan, went back to Madison to my parents' house. They were in the middle of their WIAA spring tournament season. So they were like, well, in the meantime, why don't you come back and help us out? We're really crazy busy with all these tournaments. You can help, you know, do all the reporting on these tournaments. So of course I said, yes. And what I thought was going to be, you know, this summer interim job, I ended up staying at for two and a half years. And the reason why is because I realized like, this is actually exactly what I should be doing. You know, it was, they were growing at a pretty rapid pace. So they started in Wisconsin, but they started to grow into the rest of the Midwest. They eventually grew um, into doing this nationally into a national model. They merged with another company, but it was, it was the experience that I needed for what I wanted to do because I knew I wanted to get into live game production, which is like what we're doing now. Um, so I was able to do that at the high school level and working with some of the smaller division three schools in the state uh, and covering every sport, which was a good challenge for me. Um, you know, doing multiple games a day on some of these state tournaments. And I think working in that high school space, it was also like, you really had to hustle, right? Like you had to cold call athletic directors and coaches and, walk up to people on the sidelines and introduce yourself and find parents in the stands. And, you know, there's no, like, you know, right now in the professional level, I, there's a public relations department. There's tons of information available online. I have access to so many resources, all kinds of stats websites that doesn't exist at the high school level. You know, you have to really hustle and do the work yourself. So I ended up staying there for two and a half years and that's eventually what gave me the introduction to Fox Sports Wisconsin. Um, and it, that's just kind of how it went. But again, it was kind of a, I guess it was a risk at the time um, because it was unconventional and there was no guarantee that it was going to work out or that I was eventually going to end up in a traditional broadcasting role. But again, the, the experience and the repetition it gave me was, was really what I needed. Yeah, you mentioned the repetition, which is something that I often will tell like younger students too. It's like, I understand that you're really earnest because you just got out of college and you want to take on the world. But at this point, you need reps. And it sounds like totally like unsexy to be like, you just need to be on air and get your like 10,000 hours basically. But that's what you need. And it, it's kind of like people don't always want to hear that because they just want to get right into it. And it's like, well, you need to go somewhere where you're on air like a lot so that you can flesh out like mm -hmm. all the things because <laughs> you're going to make mistakes. You might as well make them on a smaller scale than make them on ABC or NBC or any of these other big places. No, you're absolutely right. And that's, you're right. That's the thing that people don't want to hear. And, and there were certainly a lot of times in that period, right, from graduation to you know, getting my first opportunity with Fox Sports Wisconsin, which like this took about three years. Right. And there were some really unglamorous, unsexy <laughs> times in there. Right. Like I was I mean, I was going all over the mid I was spending every weekend essentially going all over the Midwest to different high school football games of the week, college football, um, 
state tournaments of every fall, winter, spring sport. Some that I enjoyed more than others, right? <laughs> and, you know, there were a lot of times that I was questioning, like, okay, I'm at this wrestling tournament in Missouri. Like, is this going to really work out? Like, you know, but you just have to sort of trust that the experience that you're getting will pay off, right? Like you said, the repetition of doing four football games in one day and then turning around and doing it again the next day or being at a basketball tournament for four days and like probably not seeing sun for those days. Um, But again, it's like, it was the best time to learn, to work hard, um, to do it on your own, right? Like nothing is handed to you. Um, you know, you were responsible for like coming up with your own content and the repetition and, and putting yourself out there and be willing to make mistakes and then, you know, turn around and do it again. So I just think that is advice and just a reality that people don't want to hear. And so I, I agree with you like that, that need for repetition and also just recognizing like the lifestyle you're signing up for, right? Like my friends were, had normal jobs. They were working nine to five jobs. And, you know, here I was like going all over the Midwest to all these high school events and state tournaments. And, you know, my life looked very different than theirs, but that's because like, if you want to work in sports, guess what? It happens on the nights. It happens on the weekends. You know, it, sometimes it requires travel. Like that's just what it is. And I think that's something for people to be aware of too. Yeah, definitely. On holidays, a lot of times people, when I'm holidays, yes. games on the 4th of July, people are like, oh, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, I'm working. And like, working. <laughs> yes. yes. There's a game again. Yes. There's a game. There's always a game. That's for sure. There's always a game. So when there was an opening or when you, you know, got an introduction and got a gig with Fox Sports Wisconsin, I mean, for a Wisconsin girl, that is like dream job status. I feel like even if you weren't on air right away, I mean, working in your home state, Fox Sports, Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. No, it was amazing. And, you know, when I was a senior at Marquette and I was at WISN, it was the fall of 2008, which for Brewers fans, they will remember, was a pretty incredible year. Um, It was the year that they finally broke that postseason drought, right? 26 years And I was there for a lot of that coverage um, at the end of the season and and into October. And it was such a fun year. And there was another Marquette alum there, Trini Kuznarek, who was the reporter um, for the Brewers broadcast. And so I made a connection with her. She's still a good friend of mine. But, you know, here I was a senior at Marquette watching another Marquette alum do this job that I was like, wow. Like, and again, she's a Wisconsin girl, too. Um, so that was fun. And, and I just, you know, seeing her cover that team in that season, it was like, wow, like what an amazing job, right? Like you hoped that at some point you would get that opportunity. Like never did I think that it was, it would work out that I would be back in Milwaukee and and doing that same role, but that is, you know, how it ended up working out. And so after a couple of years of doing the high school stuff, it was the spring of 2012 and, Um, Fox had reached out because at the corporate level, they were wanting to incorporate social media into their broadcasts. Um, It sounds crazy, but at the time that was really new. Um, That was not something that was being done. And so Fox at the national level wanted all of the regional markets to start doing this, you know, growing social media, incorporating it into the broadcast. So I was asked if I wanted to contribute on the brewer side. 
And of course I said, yes. Um, but I said, you know, I don't, I didn't want to be pigeonholed. You know, I said, I, I really, you know, my long-term goal would be, I'd love to be game reporting. You know, I'd love to be a sideline reporter. Um, I'd love to, you know, fill in if there's opportunities, I'd love to do features. If there's an opportunity to contribute to our pregame shows or really anything, right. Like any additional content that I can provide aside from the social media stuff I was doing. So that's where it started was uh, May of that 2020, 12 season. Um, I didn't start going on camera during the games until like September of that year. And then I started filling in on Bucks games. And um, then opening day of 2013 was my, was my first opening day and I was reporting and it was my kind of first full season. And, and then it just sort of took off from there. So kind of every year my role grew um, and then it became more brewers and less bucks. And then in 2018, I was hired full-time by the team. Um, so instead of working for Fox Sports Wisconsin, I, I became a brewers employee. So uh, the, the role, even from when I started with Fox um, in 2012, it evolved and it changed a lot in that time. And, and now, um, yeah, now it's crazy. Now it's, I'm coming up on 10 years with the Brewers, which is just wild to say. I love that you like had the gumption to just tell them right off the bat, like, yeah, I'll do this social media thing, but like, this is my long-term goal. I love that you had that transparency with them and it, it made it so that they couldn't be blindsided by you asking for mm -hmm. more or, or wanting more. So I think a lot of people wouldn't have the guts to do that, but I love that you were just like, look, this is my goal. <laughs> Yeah. And I think, honestly, I think you just have to be right. Because I, I have just found like, what is the harm in saying it? Like, first of all, if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do, period. And it like, I've always believed that you have to be your own biggest advocate because I have been incredibly fortunate to have wonderful people around me. And I have had some amazing opportunities, but a lot of that has come because you have to fight for it too, right? Like you have to say like, this is what I want to do. I'm willing to do more. What does that look like to do more? I always think about like value added, right? Like where else can you add value? Like I always just looked at like, where else could I add? Okay. I could do this. I could do this. What's missing, you know? So, um, and maybe that was because like, I essentially was added to the crew in a position that was new, right. And was created. And so there was some freedom in that too, right. Of like, this was not a kind of strict position, right. There was a lot of freedom in what we were willing to do content wise. And so I just, you know, I, I just, I, I don't have any regrets about, you know, always being straightforward about like, this is what I want to do. And you know, and also just being willing to do more and, and willing to say like, okay, I will do this for now with the idea of if I do this well, right. Then, then they'll trust you more. They'll give you more responsibilities and, and then you can push, you know, to get more, more work and more opportunities. It's so funny when you were talking about Trini and how you saw her when you were an intern, because that's, you were Trini to me when I was an intern. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. So like full circle, but I will say so one, of, full circle. 
one of the things I remembered about you, and I, I don't want this to sound creepy, but like I definitely studied you or watched what you were doing because you were like the reporter there. And I was, you know, with the local news team, but I remember you, I was always so impressed. You always seemed like you were very professional and had your stuff together. Like you always seemed very, very prepared <laughs> and you go enough to Brewers games or other games and you know, the journalists that are not prepared, like <laughs> you mm-hmm. can see them, maybe the fans can't see them, but like I could start to tell. And I got to know like the journalists that would come with their stuff ready, were professional, got what they needed, got in, got out, got their job done. And then the ones that weren't, and you were always on top of your stuff. And it was really fun for me to watch you work. Oh, that's so, that's so kind of you to say that. And I appreciate you saying that. Cause I think that was something that I think early on, you know, when I had this opportunity, then this is something I've had to work through as well. Um, is just, I was terrified of making mistakes, like terrified. And so I just put a lot of pressure on myself of like, okay, I have to study. I have to be prepared. I have to read as much as I can. I, and also listen, I feel like that's something people to not do enough of is like, listen to what is happening, right? Like on a daily basis, right. Of, okay. Like I just always wanted to be prepared and do the job well and, and be respected and, and kind of prove that I belonged and could do the job and, and knew it. And you know what I mean? Like, I just, I always felt like that need to prove it, like that I could do the job and I could do it well. And I understood what I was talking about. And I would, you know, I was taking the job seriously. And so I spent a lot of time on that and I still do. I still feel like preparation is far and away the biggest thing that you can do to set yourself up for success on a daily basis. Because when you understand baseball, I mean, it's, it is every day. Um, and one day leads to the next. And if you're not paying attention, you may miss something. And Sometimes you can try to anticipate what's going to happen. And kind of the fun part of, of baseball and sports in general is you can do all this preparation. You can think, you know, what's going to happen. You can have this lovely script in your mind or for a show. And then once the game starts, you're reacting to whatever is happening. And so that's the fun part of it. But I think preparation, just there is no substitute for it. And it's probably, it sounds cliched, but it's, it's just totally true. Like, and I remember I heard that from Andrea Kramer, um, who's a, a, a reporter that I have admired for her entire career. And she had a wonderful quote. She said, preparation is my armor. Like, no matter what, I know that I will be prepared. And that just like really resonated with me. Tell us some about the things behind the scenes that happen during live TV that people don't know about. You, once upon a time, went like viral because you were just... <laughs> know what I'm going to say, don't you? I do know what you're going to say, Stand up or they were shooting down to you. I think it was spring training or something. And you got like hit with a foul ball or just about hit Mm -hmm. you. And it knocked your microphone down. And you literally like straight faced, like just picked (laughs) it up and kept going. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The the lesson here is just always keep going. (laughs) The lesson here is, so yes, you're right. Um, And actually that was, that was my first season. That was May. Yeah, I know. Yeah. May of 2013. Um, we were at home um, 
and playing the Pirates, I think. And I was, yeah, I was reporting on the game. I was in the camera well, where I always am during the game. And at the time, there were no nets. Uh, fortunately, now there are nets there. But at the time, you were pretty much wide open. And um, Gene Segura was the shortstop at the time. And I was bringing us back from a commercial break to talk about whatever I was going to talk about. And he threw the ball in and thank God it bounced. And then what you see on camera is like the bounce and the ball coming in and knocking the microphone out of my hand as I'm on camera mid-sentence. Like, so all of those things, like you could not recreate it if you tried a thousand times, right? Like just the timing of it, of again, a very fortunate bounce it hitting the microphone. I'm on camera mid-sentence. You see the whole thing happen. Um, and I honestly just reacted. Like I didn't even think about it. I was just sort of stunned. Our camera guy, Woody kind of turns and is trying to help me because he realizes what has happened. I didn't even know if the microphone was working, to be honest. Like I thought it might be broken, but I was like, well, we're just gonna, in case this thing is still on. And I also didn't know if I was still on camera or not. So I think that's why you saw my reaction of just like, all right, I don't know. We're just going to keep going. And BA and rock were just so stunned. You know, they were like, forget whatever you just said. <laughs> like, Are you okay? <laughs> not even listening to and you anymore. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, and yeah, I guess it, it was crazy because it, at the time I didn't honestly think it was a big deal. Cause I didn't, I didn't see it. Right. Like I didn't know what it looked like. So it, it did end up getting a lot of attention. And actually it was funny because when that happened, Rob King, who again was the one who had given me the internship at ESPN, who I'd met at Marquette my junior year, I'd stayed in contact with him. He emailed me after that game and said, Hey, I saw what happened to your game. Just wanted to let you know, we're going to be using that clip as bumps for sports center tonight. And I was like mortified. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and it ended up making like not top 10 or something on SportsCenter. So I was like, because I, you know, I knew a lot of people over there still. That wasn't, you know, it was a couple years after my internship experience, but it was crazy. Um, the lesson here is always just keep going and also don't swear on television. <laughs> <laughs> don't cuss. Yes. Yes. If there's two things to take away from that story, it's just keep going and don't swear. <laughs> yes. I also want to talk about a time when you were able to use your Spanish skills along with your journalistic skills. And you actually, I, I looked up online, you won an Emmy for this, I think. Was mm -hmm. it with Carlos Gomez? You went to the Dominican and shot a really awesome story there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was, I mean, this is one of those work opportunities that you hope is not once in a lifetime. Um, but yeah, we were able to go to the Dominican for about two weeks, actually. Um, it was a really long trip, um, but we were doing stories and shows for both the Minnesota twins and the brewers. Um, Cause at the time Fox sports North and Fox sports, Wisconsin, they're kind of partner networks um, under, under the national umbrella. So we were doing everything. We were doing like hometown visits. Uh, we did that with a couple of players. We did the baseball academies that every organization has down in the Dominican. Uh, we were doing winter league. I mean, we were doing everything. Um, it was an unbelievable experience. I absolutely loved it. Um, and we did win, um, some Emmys for those shows, um, which was really, really cool. Um, 
and definitely a collaborative effort. I mean, it was every level of like production, editing, writing, um, you know, the people willing, being willing to give us time while we were there in the Dominican. Um, so I just, I absolutely love that experience and also doing more of that long form storytelling, right? Because in a baseball game, you know, my sideline hit might be 30 seconds, you know, or even a pregame interview might be two to three minutes. You know, these were 30 minute shows that we were doing and we were doing long form storytelling. And I, I absolutely loved doing that format. So that was really fun. Um, and then, you know, the Spanish part that just comes from my mom, she's Costa Rican and all of my extended family lives there. And we grew up in a bilingual house. Um, my grandparents did not speak any English. Um, so we had to speak Spanish. And so my mom spoke nothing but Spanish to my brothers and I, when we were growing up and she still speaks Spanish to us to this day. Um, we still go down to Costa Rica regularly to go see my family there. And, you know, at the time it was just something we did because it was our background and for our family and what we did. I had no idea I would end up working in major league baseball, um, where 30% of the players and that number is growing are from Latin backgrounds. Um, so it's honestly, it's something now that I use every single day. Um, you know, our roster as it stands today, we have Venezuelans, we have Dominicans, we have um, a Mexican player, Luis Urias. Um, we have a lot of a lot of Latin guys um, in the organization, and something I use with them every day. Um, and you know, in the reporter role, they all have varying levels of confidence in English. Um, some are totally fluent bilingual; others are not as comfortable on camera. Some don't want to do interviews in English on camera. Um, and I totally respect that. And I will never criticize a player for their level of comfort with a second language. I will never, ever criticize a player for that. And so I do my best to just make them feel comfortable, make them feel like themselves. Um, hopefully they trust me. And if there's a way that I can help them, um, with their English translating Spanish, whatever it is, um, I, I try to do that for them. You uh, get to work with one of my buddies, Jeff Levering, as a part of the crew, <laughs> and I've had him on the he's show. He's the best. He yes. is the best. I think the he's world. He's the best. Thing. And he's one of those people. You and me both. Yes. He's one of those people who I'm like all the success he's had. Like he, it, it, like, you know what I mean? Like he's totally deserves it all. He's hardworking. He's talented. So I'm just so happy that he ended up in Wisconsin because I was an intern. I know with the Pawtucket Red Sox and he was the broadcaster there and he would call me Scotty. And now <laughs> when I, you know, keep in touch with him, I joke that, that I need to call him that now. Yeah. But do you have any fun Jeff stories? Cause we have had him on the show. So our listeners have heard, you know, Jeff. Oh my gosh. So any fun short stories to share with us about Jeff? Jeff is awesome. Yeah. We, um, we have become really good friends and I, I agree. I think the world of him, um, he is a hard worker. He is an excellent play by play caller, um, on the radio side. I mean, I think first of all, being a radio partner with Bob Uecker is a dream for literally anyone, but it's also not easy when you're working with the hall of fame broadcaster, um, and Jeff does it so beautifully and so easily, and they have such a great relationship and connection and friendship. They have fun together. I think they're a perfect complement to each other. Um, I just, 
that's not an easy spot to be in when you're working with a hall of fame caliber, especially in Wisconsin, right? Like a national figure like Bob Uecker and Jeff does that in such a great way. Um, and, and I just think they're so fun to listen yeah. to. Like, honestly, I, as I, I've, I always feel like whenever we have like a nationally televised game, um, you know, I, I always listen to, to Jeff and Bob because I, that's the one thing I'm like, we don't get to listen to them, you know, cause we're doing our own broadcast. So it's fun for me, even when I'm just walking around the stadium and get to listen to Bob and Jeff. So um, anyway, I think he's excellent. I agree with you. Fun stories. I mean, gosh, he's like my, my travel buddy. It's like Jeff and Lane and I, we are like Uber partners um, when we're on the road together. And so we have, we have a lot of fun of like, I think that's the part that I always enjoy the most with those guys is like we stop and we get a coffee or in Pittsburgh, we go to like the milkshake factory or whatever. And our walks or our Uber rides to the ballpark. Um, we just have a lot of fun. You know, I think you just, you need people like that, that make it fun. And yeah, Jeff is, Jeff is definitely one of those guys that, that always makes it fun, um, at work and, and just, you know, being on the road together and spending as much time as we do together, um, in the off season. And, and actually this spring training, we went on a couple good hikes in Arizona. So we became like hiking trail partners. It's nice when you're spending that much time with people to genuinely like them because, Oh God. Yes. Yeah. You're spending so much time around them. So if you only can tolerate them from like a work standpoint, it makes it a lot harder. So when you find people that you genuinely click with and enjoy, it makes it fun. It, it totally does. And you need, you really do need people like that. Um, because it's, it's a long season. You spend a lot of time together and if you like each other, it makes it just even better. Real quick before we wrap up, Sophia, I would love to hear your general advice for other women who see you on TV and are inspired by what you're doing, whether they want to be you someday or they just want to work in sports. They want to be a writer or a play-by-play, you know, analysis. Mm -hmm. The Bucks have a female play-by-play announcer, which is so incredible. So that, I mean, that's the future for sports. What would your advice be for them? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think Lisa Byington uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks, I mean, just a fabulous hire. I have not met her yet personally, but I know Brian Anderson has spent a couple years working with her and speaks so highly of her. So I'm just excited that like Bucks fans get that opportunity, right? To normalize a female lead voice on an NBA broadcast is huge. Um, and I think you, you kind of alluded to it is there are so many opportunities whether it's on camera, right? I think we're we're making that transition from like women are no longer in just a reporter role, right? Like we're seeing women being analysts. We're seeing more women play by play. Um, I love to see that. I love to see the growth of that. I mean, Major League Baseball now has a female GM with Kim Ng um, with the Miami Marlins. I think that's incredible, right? So I think you're seeing it at every level. And so I would encourage like any women to just be open-minded about what the possibilities can be. And then also just like on a practical level of going in with your eyes open and like having a big goal, but also knowing like it's hard and it's going to take a lot of work and it's going to take a lot of sacrifice and to just go in with your eyes open of like what that's going to look like. Um, you know, like I said, like sports, it's nights and weekends, it's holidays, it's going to require sacrifices on your personal time. 
Um, it's, you know, it's, it's hard. It's, there are some absolutely fabulous, wonderful things that I think fans get to see. And there are a lot of not so glamorous, fun things about the prep and the time spent and the time invested and some of the personal sacrifices that you make. Um, and I think it's just, you know, going for it and going for it with your eyes open about, you know, the commitment that it takes to do this. And, um, it's totally worth it. It is like for me, it has been absolutely totally worth it to do. Um, that's what keeps me going. And I'm, I'm grateful to be in this position. And I, I just absolutely love the people that I work with. So that makes it even better. But um, yeah, I think just for anyone, really, it's just about doing the work and, and doing the job well, regardless of what your job is, regardless of what your role is, regardless of what the goal is. To me, it's always just been about showing up and doing the work and doing it well. And if you do that consistently, then you're going to get more opportunities and you'll hopefully end up where you want to be. Amazing advice. Tell everyone where they can find you on the socials and everywhere you want to be found. Mine is pretty basic. (laughs) I kept it pretty simple on Twitter. It's just at Sophia Minert. And same thing on Instagram. Um, It's a public account. So at Sophia Minert. Um, I do not have Facebook. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Thank you so much for your time, Sophia. Thanks, Carrie. I appreciate you having me on. That was Brewers sideline reporter, Sophia Minert. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode and I hope you are enjoying the show as a whole. If you are, it would mean the world to me if you went to Apple Podcasts, left us a rating and wrote a five-star review for the show. That kind of stuff is definitely the currency of podcasting and it would mean the world to me. It matters. I swear to you, the five seconds it takes you to write the review, it matters so, so, so much to any podcast that you listen to, not just mine. Go leave them a review. It is like a virtual hug and I know they are appreciating it just as much as I am. So go do that today. In the meantime, if you want to keep up with me in daily life, you can find me on Instagram. I am at Carrie.Gillespie and the podcast is at Candid with Carrie. Thanks again so much for tuning in, you guys. I love having you as part of the community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, make good choices and be kind to others. Bye, guys.